morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Hey, when I was in a sixth grade, our whole grade went up to Long Lake Conservation Camp in northern Minnesota. And it's one of those, a lot of people do this in Minnesota in kind of fifth or sixth grade. It's one of those camps where you go outside and you learn about wildlife and animals and all those sort of things. And one of the things that we did there was orienteering. Now, I don't know if you know what orienteering is or not, but orienteering is they give you a, a compass and a map looks kind of like that. And you, you basically, you take your compass and the, you're at the start point and they'll give you like a compass bearing. And you got to kind of line it up on your map and then they'll tell you a certain distance to walk. You got to walk a quarter mile or a certain number of steps. And if you do it right, you get to the next checkpoint, okay? And then at the next checkpoint, they give you another compass bearing and you got to kind of line it up and you go to the next checkpoint and you keep going to all the subsequent checkpoints until eventually the last checkpoint gives you directions to the finish line and the first one to the finish line wins. Now, I can remember this. I'm in sixth grade. I'm 12 years old, and I'm thinking about it. They're explaining the directions, and in my mind, I think, there's no way I don't win this. I'm thinking, I am smart. I'm super detailed. I love maps. This thing is in the bag, right? And I'm, I'm sizing up my competition, and I'm thinking, this is no problem. Well, the problem is in orienteering that even if you're off like two or three degrees, when you walk that out over time, I mean, you could be 100 yards off your target and never see it. Uh, anybody want to guess what place I got? <laughs> I got last place, in case you're wondering. <laughs> oh, man. Pride comes before the fall. Uh, let me tell you in a second uh, here why I think orienteering is important and why I was thinking about it so much this week. But uh, while I do that, let's everybody grab a Bible. There's Bibles under the chair uh, in front of you or they're under your chair if you're in the front row. We're going to be on page 805 today. Uh, we as a church, we are studying the uh, letter of Colossians. Uh, Colossians was a letter that was written by one of the early leaders in the early Christian church, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And one of the reasons that Paul was writing Colossians to the Christians at Colossae is because many of the new Christians there had started to believe false ideas or heresies about Jesus, and Paul wants to give them some correct theology. That's just spiritual truth about who Jesus really is. And his reason for doing so actually has a lot in common with orienteering, because remember, in orienteering, even if you get your compass off just a little bit, if you walk out that false idea, eventually it leads you to a place that you don't actually want to be. And the same principle is true for the Christian. If we don't, in our doctrine, and doctrine is just a fancy word for our Christian set of beliefs, if we don't, in our doctrine, get the truths about Jesus right, then those false ideas actually will lead to negative implications in our life. And so each of us has got to get Jesus right. We gotta figure this out. Who really is Jesus? And our passage today is gonna help with that a ton. This passage, these six verses, are some of the most theologically rich verses about Jesus in the entire Bible. And so we're actually gonna kinda go through this in small pieces today and kinda mine the diamonds out of it. So here we go. We are in Colossians chapter one, so that's a big number one. And we left off at a 14, verse 14 last week. So we're at verse 15, so you wanna find that small number 15, and we'll start from there. Here's what it says. It says, the Son, so that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. 
And now I wanna just, I wanna pause right there in the middle of that because already there's a ton packed in there, okay? And let's start actually with two truths from that first verse and a half that we just read. I would say this, truths uh, number one and two are this. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and he created everything. Okay, well what does that mean? So if you're looking at verse 15 and it says the son is, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. What is that? I like to think of it this way. Um, author Becky Pippard, I think, explains it really well. Uh, she wrote a classic book on evangelism back in the day. I don't know if you ever read it. It's called Out of the Salt Shaker. Amazing book. But she said that before she was a Christian, she used to think it was preposterous that little humans like us would have the audacity to say that we know what God is actually like. And then she said, one day my mind changed. She said it was the strangest thing. She was sitting out in her backyard on her lawn, and she was just watching this colony of ants nearby. And she noticed that two of the ants were actually crawling on her arm. And she said, I'm kind of a quirky person. And then all of a sudden I thought to myself, what if, what if one of the ants said to the other ant, do you believe in Becky? <laughs> and, and, and the other ant answered back and said, no, I think Becky's a myth or a fairy tale. And she thought, if that happened, how would I convince them that I'm real? And she thought, I could try like the earthquake thing or something, right? But then they probably wouldn't get that. And then she said, I just really surprised my agnostic self when I realized, no, the only way that I could convince them that I, Becky, am real would be to enter their world, become an ant, and tell them about Becky. And see, that's what Jesus did. The Son of God became like us and he showed us an image of the invisible God. So that's what Paul is saying. But Paul says more. He says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus was born. In fact, Jesus has always existed. Jesus' disciple, John, says it this way. I'll just throw this verse on the screen for you. John chapter one, he says, in the beginning was the word. That's a title for Jesus. So you can insert Jesus wherever you see that. And the word, Jesus, was with God, and the word, Jesus, was God. It says, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So what that's saying, we just get to put your logic cap on for a second. It's saying, because Jesus helped create everything that was ever made, Jesus wasn't created because he created everything that was ever made. He's always existed. Okay, so then why does it say in Colossians that Jesus was the firstborn of creation? It actually doesn't say that. Look at it. What does it say? It says Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's kind of an interesting phrase. That's a phrase that actually would have made perfect sense 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, but it doesn't click for us as well today in modern-day Western society. It It meant this. Paul is saying that Jesus is over, that is, he is above all creation, like a firstborn son is over the family. Because in those days, right, it was the firstborn son who inherited all of the father's wealth and rank and power. The firstborn son was actually equal to the father. So it's not really about birth, it's more about rank. And so what are, what are we learning from this first verse and a half? We're learning that Jesus is equal to the father, that Jesus has always existed, and through him all things are made. Now, if you're really into theology and stuff, you might be like, oh, this is awesome, right? Some of the rest of you might be like, what does this have to do with my life, right? Okay, now, here's what I would say. This is where we've gotta come back to orienteering because 
if you're thinking about orienteering, right, and you've got a compass and you're out in the woods, let's think of it this way. So let's throw on the screen now. Let's look at our truths. Our truths are, so this is what you want to line up your life on. Jesus is the image of the invisible God and created everything. But let's say you get a little bit off here. And you're like, eh, I don't know if he's like fully, fully, fully God. And you just, just kind of with your compass, you just kind of go, you disagree a little bit, right? Well, if you walk out that false idea, what will happen is the implications of that are you will start treating Jesus kind of like he was just a teacher. And plenty of people do this in America. But think about the implications of it. Okay, think of it this way. If Jesus hasn't always existed, or if Jesus isn't fully God, let me ask you, do his words carry as much weight? I don't think so. And see, it's, it's actually critical that we as believers, that we set our compass of truth correctly on this particular checkpoint. Why? Well, because throughout history, many, many, many groups have actually tried to minimize Jesus' status as the eternal son of God. In fact, that's why Paul is writing this very part of Colossians, because the Christians at Colossae, and we're gonna see this in chapter two, there were some of them that were trying to say, Jesus is important, but he's more like an angel important, not like the son of God important. And other groups throughout history have essentially tried to do the same thing. Uh, Muslims, Mormons, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, they would all say that yes, Jesus is very important, but at the end of the day, their compass is not set to Jesus is the eternal son of God. And because they don't really believe that, they end up treating Jesus kind of more like a teacher, and they don't value his words in the same way. In fact, Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus was God, and Mormons believe that God the Father actually created Jesus, and that you one day can also be a God like Jesus, and that's a totally different message. Okay, but if we are to follow Jesus well, we need to first set our compass of truth correctly. Okay, let's read some more truths about Jesus. So back to the passage. We're in chapter one. We left off kind of in the middle of 16 towards the end of it. Here's, what it, here's where we were. It says, and all things have be, been created through him, that's through Jesus, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, so there's a second set of truths here. We're seeing a lot of theological, beautiful truth about Jesus. Second set of truths is this, that all things are for Jesus, all things, and he holds all things together. This is actually a big statement because this is saying that you were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Well, think about this. Okay, what is actually the purpose of your life? That's a key question that we need to ask more than we actually do. What's the purpose of your life? Like, is it just to get rich? Is it to just like find happiness, get a good family, be successful? Like, what actually were you created for? Were you created for yourself? Well, the word of God says, no, you were created to bring glory to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there's actually deep joy in doing that, but you were created for the creator. But see, I think actually a large portion of American Christians are actually in theological error here without recognizing it. So let's think about this. So let's put up the error. So if, I, if my truth that I'm trying to line up is that all things are for Jesus, I think there are a lot of people out there that they don't think that way. They maybe would say that on paper, but really they live like a lot of their life 
is really more for them, and so they kind of move a little bit. And if you live that life out, what happens is we kind of make Jesus out to be our assistant. Like, he exists for us. In fact, I hear this very modern theological error almost everywhere nowadays. You can hear it in Christian podcasts. It's in a lot of books. It's in a ton of Christian music. If you're wondering what it sounds like, it kind of sounds like this. It sounds like, God, you've got my victory right around the corner. It sounds like, God, you are fighting my battles for my success. Or you can hear it even in conversations. People say, I just lost my job, but I know that God has an even better one for me coming up next. See, underneath that is a, is, is a core belief that Jesus exists for us, that he is there essentially to help you do well at that next meeting, uh, to improve your marriage, to turn your finances around. And actually, my friends, that is a misunderstanding of Jesus. Now, Jesus cares about all of those things. You should absolutely pray about all of those things, but Jesus does not exist for you. You exist for Jesus. And I gotta warn you, because I just don't think the American church thinks about this very well right now. If you get the wrong orientation on this one, this one actually leads to to a a, a, a bit of a scary cliff. And so it's important that you understand this because I am watching this right now happen more so than I ever have in my 20 some years of ministry. And, and maybe you're seeing this too. What I'm watching is it seems like there are so many of the formerly churched people right now, they're walking away from their faith, right? And they're saying, no, I just, I don't do the, I'm deconstructing, I don't do the whole church thing anymore. And why? For so many, if you press in, the reason they're walking away is because Jesus didn't heal that person he wanted them to heal. They wanted him to heal. Jesus didn't make their marriage get better. Jesus didn't take away their hardship. And so they walked away. But they're walking away not from the real Jesus. They're walking away from a Jesus that they were convinced was supposed to be their assistant. One of my heroes, Timothy Keller, uh, tells a story I've heard a a lot, actually. And he said when when he was a younger man, he was in this uh, Sunday school class, and his teacher had this illustration where she said, okay, students, uh, the sun is 92.7 million miles from the earth. But for argument's sake, let's just say uh, that is now represented by like the distance of the thickness of a piece of paper, okay? And she said, okay, if that's true, then the distance from Earth to the next nearest star is actually 70 feet high. A stack of papers, 70 feet high. So that'd be a little bit more than twice of the height of this room. And she said, and the diameter of the Milky Way, our galaxy, would be a stack of papers 310 miles high. And then she said, in our galaxy, the Milky Way is just a speck of dust in the universe, and yet the Bible tells us that Jesus holds the universe together by the power of his word, Hebrews 1.3. And then she, she looked at the class, and the teacher said to her students, she said, now, is this the type of person that you ask into your life to be your assistant? We exist for him, not he exists for us, and getting the compass of truth 
right here, getting who Jesus is right, it matters because it absolutely affects how you will walk out your life. Okay, let's keep moving, more truths. So we are on verse 18, if you still have it open on your lap. Here's what the word of God says. It says he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Okay, even more in here. So let's see truths five and six now. Here's what we see, that Jesus is the head of the church. And in everything, he is supreme. So that means that Jesus is the head of Renovation Church. That means that Jesus is the head, not the Pope, Jesus is the head of the capital C Church on earth, right? In everything, Jesus is over. Jesus is over everything is the theme of Colossians 1 and 2. That's why we named this series that. It's because when you understand who this Jesus really is, he's not just some guy who walks along in like a bathrobe with flowing hair and tells nice stories. When you understand that Jesus is supreme, you wanna put your whole life under him. But watch what the air is here if we orient our lives incorrectly. So the truth is, Jesus is the head of the church, okay? He is in everything he's supreme. But I think a lot of people they say, but I don't really want him to be over all of my life. There's some things where I look at the Bible, I'm not sure I agree there. There's some, I just, I don't wanna go all in on it. And so again, we're kinda moving a little bit. And when you move and you live out that false idea, you end up living out a life where you decide. At the end of the day, you decide what's right. And I think there are so many people, particularly in this country, that they, they see the truth. They, they see where the line is pointing. They see that Jesus is God and that he is supreme. But they think about that life and they think that just, that looks really hard to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe even looks unappealing. Like, because you wouldn't be deciding. You'd be saying, I trust you. I trust that you know the way is right. And so I think there are a lot of people in our country that they, they see that but essentially they go, yeah, I get it, but they take their compass and just say, I don't, I'm gonna go my own way though. But think about this, if you're orienteering and you're out in the woods and you're in the middle of nowhere, and let's say you just grow wary and weary of trying to find the line of truth. And out in the middle of the woods you say, you know what, this is just so hard, I don't know if I can get it, I'm just gonna figure out my own way you put your compass down. Is that a good idea? No way, right? And what I'm telling you is it's actually not a good idea in real life either. It leads to pain. It's just as true. Jesus says this in, in Matthew chapter seven. He says that path, that path where we each kind of get to choose our own way, he says that's the appealing path. He says that's the broad path. I mean, think about it, if there's a line of truth really in terms of a compass, you would actually have 359-ish degrees of other choices to make. So the other path of not following Jesus, it is quite broad. Jesus is totally right. But it is a path that leads to pain. It's a path that leads to loneliness out in the woods. It's a path that leads to being lost. And ultimately Jesus says that it's a path to destruction. But his path the true path, it leads to life. It may be narrow, it may be hard, but it is the path, it is the only path that leads to life and life everlasting. And you know, sometimes I think, 
people see this and they think about the two paths and they're just, there's a little bit of fear and even just totally trusting your whole life to Jesus and maybe you've been kind of on the fence and you're dabbling with this. Jesus has some of your life but not all of your life. I think sometimes we're maybe even intimidated by the glory of Jesus, the supremacy and power of Jesus and yet as believers of scripture and of Christ, we, we hold two things in tension. We hold this idea that Jesus is supreme and he is powerful. Intention with what else the Bible says is that Jesus is incredibly loving. And both of those things are true. And I really wanna spend the remainder of my time talking about the loving part because our passage hits on that too because that is also a part of who Jesus is. But before I show that to you in the passage, I also, what I wanna do is I actually wanna show that to you in someone's life. Uh, at this point, actually, I want to call our, our baptismal team on stage because this is a baptism Sunday for us. Uh, we are baptizing uh, one person in this service, four people throughout the morning who have made fairly recent decisions to put their trust, their hope, their faith in Jesus, and we want to celebrate that. Uh, baptisms are reminders. It's a visual reminder to us that Jesus Christ has paid our debt, our sin, and by our faith in him, we are washed Our sins are washed away, they are forgiven. And so baptism, it doesn't save you, but it's a symbol, an important symbol of what happens. And it's for every single person, once you make a decision, some of you still need to do this, once you make a decision to believe in Jesus, this is what the Bible says is the next step. Uh, Every person that you see baptized at our church, they have sponsors. Uh, These sponsors are people who've had a spiritual impact on them. You know, lots of times in our church, often the sponsor will be someone who was their discipler. So some of you know this, some of you don't, but when, when someone becomes a Christian at our church, they stand up in a service or whatever, we immediately connect them with a discipler. That's a follower of Jesus in our church, and they will disciple them one-on-one for eight weeks, teaching them what does it look like to actually follow Jesus. And that is an amazing thing, especially if that ends up in a place where you get to baptize that person as well. So without further ado, I'm gonna invite uh, Greg and his sponsors uh, on stage. Good morning, everybody. My name is Greg Pearson, and I've made the decision to get baptized today. A little bit about me. I was raised Catholic like many of you in this service, and I value that upbringing. It allowed me to have a strong spiritual foundation in serving others, uh, finding strength in prayer, and attending church regularly. I would like to thank my parents for giving me that foundation. In my later teenage years, I started living a life that wasn't God-centered at all. For about a decade, I had forsaken my relationship with God. Like Pastor David spoke about last week, I tried planting my roots in so many selfish things that weren't life-giving. A few years ago, I wanted to get back into my faith. However, I was terrified of coming back to church, thinking I needed to turn my life around first. But God works perfectly with our fears, doubts, and questions. He placed an amazing woman in my life, my girlfriend, Abby, and she helped support my return to faith. God spoke through her and showed me that Jesus has an open door policy and you don't have to right your wrongs before setting foot into a church. We cannot right our own wrongs, only Jesus can, and that is why we accept him into our lives. I started coming to renovation about a year and a half ago and after a handful of services, I was compelled to raise my hand and give my life to Jesus during a baptism service just like this one. I found a place to plant those roots in newfound faith 
and today I continue to walk with Jesus every day of my life. He is beside me in my struggles with anxiety, and he takes, out, takes me out of the darkness and brings me into the light. Well, gotta find my place here. <laughs> he has blessed me with a new eternal life that I am forever grateful for. Standing by my side are two close friends in my house group, Aaron Hermanson and Matt Clower, who is my sponsor. These men have shown me the importance of fellowship and how we grow as Christians in community. For those of you listening, if God is pulling on your heart today, I encourage you to act on it. I've been nervous and had questions every step along the way, but we are never alone when we are made in Jesus Christ. I'd like to close with a verse from the book of John 15. Verses four through five says, remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Thank you. A huge thank you to these, to, to Matt and Aaron and these sponsors too. This, this is what discipleship is, okay? This is what we do in our church. We don't just have people make a commitment and leave them hanging. We, we help disciple them so they can follow Jesus. And it's beautiful, beautiful to watch. I, I want to show you now in our passage what, what Greg was talking about. So look at verse 20 now. This is, this is the, the impetus behind that life change that he's talking about. It says, and through him and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, this is important. Here are the, the fourth set of truths. It's this. It's that Jesus reconciles us. That is that he is the one that makes all things right. And so what we see from God's word is we, say that all, we see that all things are created by Jesus, through Jesus, but our world is broken. It's broken by sin, but the way to be reconciled, that means the way to be made right, the way to be brought back, or you could say the passage even uses the word peace, the way for you to have peace with God, it says it's through Jesus' blood. That just means his death on the cross. That's how we can be reconciled to God. And that's what Greg is talking about. That's what people are gonna be talking about all morning as they give their stories. The way that they actually found peace with God was through believing that Jesus Christ, this amazing, always existing, eternal son of God, came down to our lowly planet and died on a cross 
for us. Because that's what he was doing when he died on the cross. He's not just showing up a symbol of love or something like that. Jesus Christ is actually dying for your sins. Because you and I, we sin against God, and God is a holy God, and there must be justice for our sins. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has offered to die in your place, to take the punishment for your sins. And if we would believe in that, in fact, only if we would believe in that, then we can be reconciled, it says. We can be made right with God and find peace with him. Why? Well, because the the justice of God would be coming on Jesus now, not on us. But if you don't believe that or you haven't believed that, maybe you've kind of been in this right-hand column, right, where you've kind of looked at like, yeah, to me, Jesus has mostly been a teacher. Maybe he's an assistant. Like if you're in a crisis, maybe someone in your family is in the hospital. Jesus is someone you would call out to. But generally, the the most accurate description of your life is you're making decisions for your life. If that's your worldview, and that's about the worldview of about half of America, by the way. It's very, 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 very common. If that is your worldview, then the biggest question of your life is quite serious if you think about it. The biggest question for your life is this. It's how will you be reconciled to God? Because you're going to die someday. That maybe sounds intimidating, but that's a scientific fact, right? You're gonna die someday, and when you do, you are going to meet God for judgment. How will you be reconciled to God? How will you be made right to him? What will you say that will allow you into heaven? And for most people that are kind of in that right column that we saw before, most people will say, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to live my life as a good person. And I am telling you that is the final error, right? So let's look at that grid again. So the truth is Jesus reconciles us. He's the one that makes things right. But if you don't believe that and you get off, then you're left what? You're left trying to make things right yourself. Going, I gotta get things together. And that's what Greg is talking about. He's saying, if I wanna get back into church, I gotta get my life together. So many people are here right now in our culture. I all the time hear people say, you know, I wanna come back to God, I wanna get my life back. And they're trying to figure out, how do I do that? How do I do that? And then they'll usually say things like, oh, okay, I feel like on the weekends, I've just been drinking too much. I'm just a little out of control. If I just kind of taper it back a little, uh, if I show up here a little bit more, like on Sundays, um, I'll try and uh, yell at my kids a, a, a little bit less. See, at the end of the day, that's still you, through your own good works, trying to save yourself. That's you. Jesus has said, this is the way, but that's still you going, okay, I know, but I'll, let me find another path. That's you trying to be your own savior, but God said, I already sent you a savior. And you can get right with me through Jesus. You can't get right with God by trying to save yourself. And see, this is actually really, really, really good news, Okay? because you don't have to do it yourself. Because if you, if, you can, okay, if you can humble yourself, and this takes humility, and I think this is really hard. If you can humble yourself and go back to the start line of orienteering, and you're actually gonna chase down the truth, okay? And you chase it down to the first point, and you see Jesus Christ, he's not just some teacher, he's the son of God. And then you chase to the next point and you see your life is not about you, your life is for him. 
and you find the next point of truth and you see the only way, the only way you can be made right with him is through Jesus. Do you know where that will lead you to? If you follow all the points of truth, do you know where it leads you to? It leads you to the cross. And when you get to the cross, you will see, my friends, the most astounding picture of all of history. What what you will see is the most powerful being, the amazing, the magnificent, the always existing, the supreme, the one that holds the universe in the palm of his hand, that one hanging on a cross. What, why? Because he came for you. He came for you. He loved you so much that he didn't want you to be lost. He didn't want you to be alone. He didn't want you to suffer in hell for your sins. He came to the wilderness of this world to rescue you, to die for you. Even though if you feel like my life isn't together, he came. If you feel like I've been messing up, he came. He came for you, and that's the way you get right with him. And if you, listen, it is this simple. All you need to do is what Greg was talking about and what people are gonna be talking about all morning. You just need to say, I believe. That's the good news. That's the good news of this book. You don't have to get your life right because you can't reconcile it. He can. You just need to say, Jesus, if that is true, that you actually came for me and my messed up life, I wanna believe that. Save me, save me, save me. Here is my life. Be my leader, be my savior, and he will. He will come in. He will wash your sins away. He'll start changing you from the inside out. And he'll grant you eternal life forever in him through your faith, through your faith. In fact, I want to give some of you an opportunity to even make that decision to, this morning, right now. So let's just, let's just close our eyes together. Maybe even bow our heads. If I'm talking to you and you need to make this decision for the first time, to confess your sins to Jesus, to let him forgive you, to actually let him be the leader of your life, your savior. In just a minute, I'm gonna ask you to respond simply just by raising your hand up in the air. No one's looking at you, that's, that's why their eyes are closed. But kind of like Greg said, sometimes we just, we need that moment where we say, it's time. And I, I believe. God, take my life. If you came for me, I'm living for you. So if you need to do that this morning, you need to let Jesus Christ forgive you, let him save you, I bet you know it on your heart. And if that's you right now, what I want you to do as you draw that line in the sand is just to raise your hand up to God and say, it's me, God, save me, take my life. If that's you and you're in here this morning, would you just raise your hand up to him right now? Say, God, it's me, save me. All right, amen. Anyone else, who else just... You're just saying, God, I, I need it. Okay, amen. Anyone else? Can we give you another 10 seconds or so? If you're just like, oh, I'm running, I am lost in the woods, I'm trying to go my own way, I need him. All right. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you made this decision uh, for the first time this morning, Uh, What I want to do now is I want to pray with you. The Bible says that when you get to this point, we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths. And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray a prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's just something you can pray from your heart. So I want you to repeat this out loud after me, whether you just raised your hand or you've been believing this for much of your life. Would you repeat this after me? 
Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen. All right, hey, for the three or four of you that raised your hand uh, this service, I believe that you just made the most important decision of your life. And when you make a decision of that magnitude, you gotta know what to do next. You don't wanna say, I surrender to you, God, but I don't know what to do. And so what we're gonna do after the service, I'm gonna close the service in just a second, and I'm gonna sit right down here on the stage, and what I want you to do, I want the three or four of you that I saw raise your hands to actually come down, uh, meet me for a few minutes, and I'm gonna give you some extremely important resources so you know what to do next. So I'll pray people kind of walk out of here and then I want you actually to come down here just for a couple of minutes and I'll give you those steps, okay? Uh, if you're here and you're from this church and one of your friends or family members raised their hand, you can come down with him as well. So church, let me, let's, let's pray. Let's just praise God for what he's doing in this space. God, we thank you. Uh, we're just so grateful to watch this uh, every single week. Uh, we thank you for Greg this morning, what you did in his life. Uh, we thank you for the new life that are resulting because of it. Just the exponential. Greg comes to Christ at a baptism service, stands up here, gives his testimony, and then more people come to Christ, God. We're just, we love it. We thank you and we give you the glory, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.